when I was in the ninth grade, I had a scooter, and it was called the Jog. That was what they called it. And uh, I believe the reason they named it the Jog was because if someone was jogging, they would just blow right past me, because that's how fast that thing went. Um, but anyway, I used it to kind of get around town before I had my driver's license. And uh, I was on the football team. This is in the ninth grade. And the practice got cut short because it was raining and, you know, lightning and all that kind of stuff. And so I, cha- you know, we changed after practice. I hopped on my scooter and started driving home in the rain. Now, I had only been in Florida for a few months at the time. I had just moved from Boston, where I'm from originally. And I didn't realize this would happen, but I put on my helmet to go home. And then, you know, like I was sweating from playing football. And so it was raining outside, so it was very humid. So then the inside of the helmet started to fog up because I was kind of sweaty and all that. And then it was raining on the outside. So what I was trying to do is take my shirt and and my hand and just try try to wipe off because my my helmet didn't have a defrost. Uh, It also didn't have windshield wipers. So I was trying to kind of do like a manual windshield wiper deal on the outside and on the inside. And the problem was is that as I'm driving down this um, this street to uh, like leaving this high school, uh, driving home. So I'm trying to do this and do this on this side. As I'm doing that, the car in front of me slammed on its brakes. I didn't see it. Tried to stop. Too late. Bam! Smashed into the back of this car. Now, the jog was such a non-impressive scooter, the people in the car didn't even realize I had hit them. It was like, huh, no, what happened? Nothing, nothing happened. Except I hit them, and then I fell, and as I was falling back, the, the grip on the handlebar, which is made of rubber, hooked on to the back of their bumper. It was an older car, so it had like kind of an old metal bumper. And so it hooked on to the back of the bumper. Well, they decided to start going, not realizing I was attached to their vehicle. So they start dragging me down the street, and I'm saying, hey, hey, there's someone back here. You know, nothing. So I somehow am able to muster up all the upper body strength I can. I, I just reach up and I just start banging on the back of the trunk. Bam, bam, bam. Well, suddenly these people who apparently are like the most non, you know, connected to their surroundings ever, you know, they, they hear someone banging on the back of the trunk and they say, I think something's happening here. And uh, so they stop the car. They, they get out of the car, and I'm there, and I'm like, hey, what's up, you know? And, uh, and so they help me get out. They ask me if I'm okay, and I'm like, you know, all right, you know, it's, it's all right. You know, my, my, the front of the jog was smashed. Their car did not have a thing, not even a scratch, which really said a lot about their vehicle and very little about mine. <laughs> but anyway, so um, they kind of... Uh, you know, they helped me up and all that. The jog started, even though after that day the jog was more of a limp, um, getting get, getting away. And that's when I realized the jog wasn't doing so well. So about a couple weeks later, I sold it to a kid in my school. And um, a week after that, that kid was walking to school. So that says a little bit about how the jog was doing. So, But I did get money from an unsuspecting victim uh, before <laughs> before it was totally gone. But listen, I tell you that because... I believe that that story is one of the ways that people view marriage. Like, so what happened? And here's what they'll say. Well, I was just kind of minding my own business. And then somebody just rammed into me. And then they started, now I'm being dragged places I don't want to go. 
that, that's pretty much what my marriage is like. And, 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 that's, that, so, um, and so what, what I want to do is hopefully do something very different than that. But I want to do something a little different in, um, in this message than maybe I've done in some of the others. And that is I, I want to share with you what I've learned in not only 15 years of marriage, but in counseling hundreds of couples um, over now a decade and a half about resolving conflict. I, um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that most couples don't know how to fight fair. And uh, what they, they, most couples view conflict like, you know, my, it's like my scooter situation. You know, they, you know, stuff breaks, there's blood, you know, people call the cops, you're exchanging insurance information. Um, and, that, you know, but, but what couples do is that they get into an argument and they just immediately go for the jugular. And, and thinking like, well, I'm going to win this one. Not realizing that sometimes you can win the battle and inadvertently actually hurt yourself and, and, and lose the war. So what I want to share with you, if I can, in the moments that we have together, <clears throat> is share some things that I would want to share with my kids when they got, get to the point where they're, they, they're going to get married, which I pray is many, many, many years from now. Um, I was actually in Atlanta. I was speaking at a conference this week, and so I was uh, the first day I was there. Uh, I had some free time, and I said, oh, so I went over to the mall that was nearby, and I went to buy something for the kids. Whenever I go out of town, I try to get something for them. I think that's probably more my guilt for being out of town for a couple of days. And uh, so I stopped at the Disney store, and I got. Uh, I wanted to get Mia loves uh, like Rapunzel and the whole tangled thing, so I wanted to get her something. And they had this. Rapunzel wedding dress. It was like super cool. And I thought maybe I'll get her the Rapunzel wedding dress. Then I saw that it was 150 bucks. And I'm like, yeah, that's not happening. And, um, and then, but then I thought to myself, like, what are you doing? You're like, you're trying, Bob, you need to slow this process down, not speed it up. You know, so that was uh, kind of my, my thing. But I, I, I don't know why I've been thinking all week about that, that like someday these kids are going to get married. And it was just like this horrifying thought to me that uh, these kids are, want to leave our, our home. But, um, but uh, so, I, so what I want to do is just talk to you about some of the things that when Mia and Xander and Olivia are a little older, that I'd want to talk to them about conflict, about really loving someone and then disagreeing with that person that you love so much and being able to disagree with this person that you love and being able to settle it in such a way so that it actually strengthens the relationship. We, we started a series a few weeks ago that's called Boy Meets Girl. And we've been talking about this idea of marriage, relationships, how does it work. And we all know, see, the boy meets girl part is the easy part. It's when the boy knows girl. That's the hard part. Or when girl knows boy, that's when things get, get a little bit difficult and when the problems begin. So what I want to do, and if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn there with me. I want to take you to a story, a section of Scripture where a couple is actually having an argument. And I want to work through it together as we share about how to really fight fair in your marriage. And it's, the, the, it's this ancient song in the Bible that's called the Song of Solomon. So if you kind of open your Bible in the middle somewhere, and if you hit like the Psalms, it's, you know, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then Song of Solomon, or you can go to the Table of Contents and find it. That helps too. Um, <clears throat> but it's going to be Song of Solomon chapter 5 that we're going to be in. And here's the thing. Song of Solomon uh, is written like a play. It was written by King Solomon, and it covers uh, Solomon and, and this woman that's referred to as the Shulamite in 
uh, in the story. But it talks about from, the story, the, the book refers to when they met, to the courtship, their wedding, their wedding night, and then this conflict, and then all the way to the end of the book when they're older and looking back on their lives. And the section that we're going to look at in particular is when they're married and they get into an argument. Because, listen, conflict happens in every marriage. The only marriages that don't have conflict are the people who lie about not having it. So it's not like, well, we don't have any conflict. And it's like, sinner, yes, you do. And that's part of your problem is that you're a liar. And, uh, and so, because every, every marriage has conflict. But the key is not to say, well, how do we keep from ever having conflict? That's impossible. You can't put two sinners in the same house and have perfect harmony. But instead, what you can do is say, we are going to have conflict now and again, but we can actually resolve our conflict in such a way that actually strengthens our marriage, strengthens our relationship, and draws us closer together. Let's see how this happens. In Song of Solomon chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 2. Here's, uh, here, here's where we begin. Uh, this is the Shulamite speaking. She says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drop of the night. And here's her response. I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I defile them? And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that I want to show you about fighting fair. And that is, number one, pick your battles. Pick your battles. Not everything is worth fighting over. And if you're going to say, hey, we're going to have conflict about this and we're going to, you know, duke it out, then here's what we're going to do. Number one, it's got to be something that's worth fighting about. Number two, you've got to do it in a way <clears throat> that we're really dealing with the core issue and not some peripheral thing that doesn't really matter. You see, this couple is having conflict because he got home late. Um, so that's why she opens and she says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. That's a very poetic way of saying I'm laying in bed worried. And so his response is, in, um, in, in the end of verse 2, is my head is covered with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. He's essentially saying, I'm, I've been sweating because I've been working all day. And, uh, but she decides, so he's you know, knocking on the door to the bedroom, but she decides not to let him in. Now you have to understand that in this culture, it was common for couples to have separate bedrooms. Believe it or not, but it was common at that time. But she complains how she's all ready for bed and uh, it's too late for them to be together. And this is where the argument begins. So she says, I've put on my robe. How can I take it off? I've cleaned my feet. How can I defile them? That's a ancient Middle Eastern way of saying, not tonight, honey, I have a headache. And so and uh, <clears throat> and now this and this is this may be a good reason for an argument or not. But this is what they decide that they're going to start fighting about. And so. But if you are going to do it, then you've got to fight fair. If not, then just let it go. But if it's worth fighting about, we're going to fight fair. Now, here's what the Bible says. It says, let every man be slow to speak. Every man be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's in your notes. It's James 1, 19 and 20. Those were the first verses my wife and I memorized together when we got married. was that, that passage in James 1. And that is because we had to realize, let every person be swift to hear. Slow to speak, slow to get angry, slow to wrath, because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That Knowing those verses and following them have saved us many an argument, many a conflict. 
But you've got to decide if it's worth fighting about. <coughs> you ever have this at a restaurant where you go to a restaurant and you, so you order your food and it doesn't come out exactly the way you wanted it to? So let's say you ordered it rare, your steak rare, which is, I believe, the godly way. Um, <clears throat> but you order your steak rare and it comes out like medium rare. And you're thinking to yourself, like, well, do I send it back? Do I not? You take a bite, it tastes pretty good, and you're like, ah, I'll just eat it. But then, you know, maybe you order something, you know, um, you know, like, well, I ordered chicken and I got pork. And you're like, well, okay, that's worth sending it back, you know. And so, but there's this thing that happens in, in when, when you're, you know, sitting down to eat that you recognize that it's, there's this thing where you say, is it worth it to send it back or to create some kind of conflict with the server or not. I think right, we'd, all, we'd all agree with that. Now, uh, let me explain it this way. My wife and I, we went out this past uh, Thursday. Um, we, we went out and... <clears throat> I'm sorry, it was the Thursday before. Anyway, it's about a week ago. We went out and uh, we were going to... We all of us got, you know, the whole family. And so we were going to go to a restaurant, but I had got the mail just as I was coming home from the office. And as I got the mail, we got a coupon from a restaurant that wasn't too far from us. And uh, Carrie's like, oh, we should go here tonight since they sent us the, you know, the coupon. I thought, yeah, that's a good idea. So we get the kids in the car. And, you know, I don't know if you do this, but we do this because, we, ha- you know, we have little kids. And my daughter goes to school. So we eat dinner, like, pretty early. You know, I eat dinner. I'm not even hungry. You know, and I just eat because, well, that's what I do. But, um, so, but it's just one of these things where it's like, I, you know, so it's like, we get to the restaurant, it's like 5.30, you know, it's like us and some senior citizens, like rocking, you know, at 5.30, uh, having the 5.30 dinner, <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> but you got to do that if you go out, because then your kids got to go home and take a bath and go to bed, and next thing you know, it's like midnight, you know, or whatever, and so, but anyway, so I'm looking, so we're getting towards the end of our meal, and I'm looking around for the server, because I want to refill on my soda, so I'm trying to get his attention, and um when all of a sudden my wife grabs my napkin, jumps up, and just smashes her hand on the table, and then sits down. And I'm like, what was that? You know, I'm like, you know, you just went like all ninja on the table, but what was up? And, uh, and so she, hand, she, she, uh, she opens up the napkin, and she says, well, there was a roach on our table. And, uh, and so I say, well, hand me, hand me the napkin because I'm going to talk to the... Uh, so then I finally get the server's attention. And, um, and he's like, oh, and he brings me the soda. And I'm like, well, we're, we're you know, bigger fish to fry now. And, uh, and so I hand him the napkin and like the little antenna are still moving, you know. It gets better. You got to wait for it, but it gets better. All right? So anyway... So I say to him, I hand this to him, and I say, this was on our table, and uh, so I'm going to go ahead and need to talk to your manager now. And uh, so he says, okay. Um, he, the manager comes over. I mean, the guy is like white as a ghost. And uh, he's like, um, sir. And, and, and honestly, the manager comes over and says the words that you never want to hear. And he comes over and says the words, sir, I'm so sorry. I know we have a problem. And I'm thinking, see, didn't I tell you it was going to get better? You just have to wait for it, but I told you it was going to get better. And uh, 
And, and by the way, people after the service, or the first service, they're like, you have to tell me where that is, you know. And uh, if you find me after, I'll tell you. Um, but, you know, if I tell you from here, people like, like to sue you and all that. So just I'll spare myself the lawsuit. And uh, but anyway, so uh, <laughs> he says, I know we have a problem. And my wife is like, what? you know, and I'm and, and then he starts giving me this whole thing about he's like, you know, well, we just fumigated yesterday. And, you know, they go crazy when you fumigate. And I said, I was under the impression they died when you fumigated. And uh, that's like the whole thing. Like, they're not vitamins you're giving them, right? It's like death spray. And uh, so, he, so he basically telling me, like, we have a big problem and uh, we haven't been able to really fix it yet. And um, so, anyway, bad news is roach on our table. Good news is free meal. All right? So that was good. Carrie wasn't really... You know, Carrie, we're you know we're we're getting ready to leave, and Carrie's like, you know, I just I I, I feel like throwing up because this was after we ate our meal and all that. She's like, I feel like throwing up. This is so disgusting. I was gonna have a sip of your soda, and I just can't because I'm thinking there could have been a roach in there, and then this is that, and I'm like, you're right. I should be grossed out, but I'm not. You know. <laughs> now, the point is this. A roach on the table is time to say something. And yet what happens is, is that, you know, you can't, if you're, you can't have conflict about everything. So, but you've got to pick the things that you're going you're gonna to have, have conflict about. But see, what we tend to do is we have conflict over these like silly little refill issues. When there's like roaches all over the table that we won't deal with, they're like, well, I want a refill. The guy won't see me. And I'm raising my hand. And, and it's like, whoa, there's bigger stuff on the table to deal with than the refill, buddy. Right? <clears throat> now, let me give you an example. One of my really good friends, um, he doesn't live in Florida, unfortunately, but uh, him and I are really good friends. And, uh, but he was like a social networking like maniac. Uh, he was on, like, Twitter all the time. And, you know, his Twitter updates his Facebook and whatever and all that stuff. And so he's on there all the time. And uh, he has uh, a four-year-old daughter. And his four-year-old daughter comes up to him, uh, this is a few months ago, and says, Dad, when I get older, I want to be on Twitter so we can talk more. And he's like, oh. He's telling me the story. He says, she told me that, and I started to cry. And I realized, because people had been telling him, that he's maybe on this a little too much, and he's on his phone all the time, updating everything. And, um, and he would tell people, oh, you know, this is part of my work. And technically it is to some degree. Um, but, you know, that's not the real conflict. Is oh, you're on your phone too much. You know, that was the issue. But his four-year-old was able to say these words that just cut through all the facades and all the stuff. And really, she was able to share with him that there's a priority issue. And man, that just, and, and so, you know, he's telling me this, and I mean, he's like so moved by it. And I mean, the, the, that little conversation with his daughter has totally changed his life. And um, I said, so what'd you do? He said, uh, he said, my daughter said that, and man, I cried, and I, I, asked her, I asked her to forgive me, asked my wife to forgive me, and then I went into my garage, I grabbed a hammer, and I smashed my iPhone into a hundred pieces. And I said, that's it. I'm not going to be that guy anymore. You see, this wasn't the issue. The, 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 the roach on the table was that there was a prior, there were there were conflicting priorities that were causing conflict. You see that that's the problem. You see when a couple 
has disagreements over their, um, well, let me say, the, the, the first counseling appointment I ever had, um, I was, I don't know, 24, and I was, they, everybody was gone, I was an inter, kind of an intern pastor, you know, now I'm a senior pastor, I was like junior pastor back then, um, but then I, I was just starting, and so everybody was gone, and they're like, well, they, this couple wants to come in, they want to meet with the pastor, and well, all that's left is you. And uh, that was kind of how they said it. They said, so you're going to meet with them. And what's the problem? Well, they're like on the edge, you know, they're on the edge of ending it. And so they're going to meet with you. And I'm thinking like, oh, Lord, what's me? I mean, I mean, I'm 24. I barely started shaving, you know, it was recent. <clears throat> and so they um, they get in there and the whole thing was and this I, you hear this all the time. He's upset because of how much money she spends. She's upset because of how much money she, he spends. And it's, it's this whole thing. Listen, and, and, and what ended up happening was, and this is what I've said not only to them, but to countless couples in the, in the past, this is not about money. Hmm? It's not about your, your Amex bill. Huh? No, that's why we're here. No, that's the refill problem. The roach problem is that you don't have the same financial priorities. And until you understand what your values are and what your financial priorities are, you're always going to have this conflict. Because the two of you are going in totally different directions. That's the issue. Once you figure out where both of us are going, well now, so the whole point is this. Well, we can argue about, well, you spent this much and I spent this much. Or we can just have the conversation and have the real conflict that's actually going to strengthen our marriage, which is, what are our priorities? Because it seems like you're going this way and I'm going this way. And it's, it's, it's causing a lot of conflict. But it's not really about the bill. It's about the fact that we're going in two totally different directions. And once we pick the real battle to fight, now when we you know, fix that, it's going to strengthen our marriage and draw us closer together than we ever realized. So you, listen, you want to fight fair? Here's the first one. Pick your battles and fight the real battle. Here's the second one. Look what happens in, uh, in, in the next verse. Um, in verse 4, she says, My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him, and I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the hands of the lock. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing I want to share with you about how to deal with conflict, how to fight fair. Number two is this. Learn to communicate. Learn to communicate. Uh, my, I, I, if you've been around here for any length of time, you've probably heard me talk about this. There's a book that Carrie and I read when we first got married that was so helpful to us. I mean, it's just so huge in our, in our relationship. Um, and it really helped me in understanding my wife and understanding myself. Um, there's a book called The Five Love Languages, which I so highly recommend. But the author essentially, here's the very brief Cliff Notes version of the book. The, the author explains that there's basically, we receive love in one of five ways. You receive love by words of affirmation, gifts, quality time, acts of service, or physical touch. Those are the five, uh, those are, those are the fi- the five love languages. And, and the, whole, the point that this, that the author makes is, if you will learn what your spouse's love language is, you can actually start communicating with them in that language, and they will feel more love than if you did 
ten times as much in a language that doesn't really connect with them. Now, my wife's love language is quality time. She wants time with me. And, uh, and it's just, hey, we don't have, it doesn't matter where we go or what we do. Let's just be together. So on our days off, if we have to go to Publix, we'll go together. If we have to go to the post office, we go together. And we just want to be together. So <clears throat> about two years ago, my, uh, we were at Disney World and the kids. Uh, so my son was probably about six to eight months old. And my daughter was three at the time. And the kids ha- both had diaper rashes, which isn't a huge deal, but we ran out of the, uh, the, the ointment that makes it like work really quick. We had this other stuff, but it wasn't as good. And so Carrie said, listen, uh, and it was kind of late. Uh, I was probably, you know, 9 or so, 9.30. So the kids are like way past their bedtime, wanting to go to sleep. And she said, listen, we have this other stuff. We'll put it on there, and then in the morning we'll go get the stuff that, that works like, you know, lightning fast. And I said, no, no, no. I'll go do it because I have this thing that I love. I really love doing acts of service for my wife. I, I love doing things that help her out. And so uh, w- whatever way I can do to help her, it just it brings me joy to do nice things for her. So I say, so she's telling me that, don't worry about it. We'll do it tomorrow as I'm putting my shoes on. And I'm like, don't worry. I'm just going to run to the, there's like a, uh, we were staying in one of the Disney hotels and, and the, the, the hotel we were staying at, there's like a lake and there's like seven or eight hotels around this lake. And so um, I said, well, I'll just jog, you know, there's like a general store. I'll jog over to the general store, pick up the ointment. I'll be back in five minutes. So she says, well, okay. She says, you can't, just, we'll just be together, you know, just stay, hang out. And I'm like, oh, I'll just be five minutes. So I run as fast as I can through the halls, outside. I get to the general store. I get to the section where they have that, you know, ointment, paste or whatever. And they say, oh, well, we're out. But the hotel next door has it. And I'm like, you do know that's like half a mile away. And they're like, yeah, but they have it. I'm like, can we call them and have someone bring it over? Like, no, you got, well, they'll, they'll have it um, because that's where we get it from. And it's all right. So then, and I just, you know, I'm doing this for my kids. I'm doing this for my wife. And then I run as fast as I can. And I get to the next hotel and I go into the gift shop and they're out. And I'm like, now, mind you, I didn't take my wallet. I didn't take my phone. All I took was my room key because I was just going to charge to, my room, to the room. And, uh, and, and so now, and so I'm like, you don't have it. And they're like, listen, don't worry about it. The next hotel has it. And I'm like, you know, I've heard that before. And they said, well, that's like the supplier for all of the stores is that one. And I said, all right. So then I like muster whatever energy I have and I run as fast as I can to the next hotel, which now is another half a mile or however, whatever, three quarters of a mile away. And I finally get there and I'm like, do you, do you have the ointment? Please, you must have the ointment. And so anyway, they're like, uh, oh, we happen to have it here. It'll be like 80 bucks. And, you know, it's like one of those, you know, like price gouging. Like it was a convenience store, late night, Disney World. It was like, you know, the bad trifecta. So, you know, it was like however much it was, like 20 bucks or something. So I get it. And then I have this realization. I have to run back now. And I'm like 80 miles away. Or, you know what I mean? I was like, all right. So then I start running back. Then I'm walking back. Then I throw up. Then I keep running. 
And then, and then, so it's like, you know, we're like ready for bed, like before, and I get back, and I'm like white, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sweat, my shirt is all full of sweat, and, uh, oh my goodness, I got it. And she's like, you told me you were going to be gone for five minutes, it's been an hour. I thought something, I thought there was like a Disney mugging, and like some creature came out and like beat you up or something. And I'm like, listen, I wish that's what happened. And, uh, but, and, and so now, right, and, and so here's what happens. So I'm doing this. Now, mind you, I tell Carrie the story. She thinks it's the funniest thing she's ever heard. And she says, you know, all the crazy stuff happens to you, I, which, I, which is fun when I'm not there. And uh, because a lot of times the crazy stuff happens when she's there and it bothers her because she's like, I know why God does this, because you like telling funny stories and that's why all this crazy stuff happens. But I like it when stuff crazy stuff happens and I'm not there because I don't like roaches and stuff like that. But that's what the weird stuff that happens when I'm around and you're around. So anyway, um, and why does it happen? All for you. All for you. So it's all your fault that this crazy stuff happens in my life. Um, you know, uh, I was I was with George, uh, who was playing guitar today in Atlanta. We had this terrible car. I don't even know how. You know, the people that I was speaking at, they paid for the car and the hotel and all that. And uh, we get in there. There's this terrible car. And he's like, I, I get it now. I understand why Carrie doesn't like this. Because this is like the worst car ever. Like, you hit the gas and you go slower. And I'm like, well, this tells you also what caliber of speaker I am as far as how that goes. And uh, so anyway... Uh, so, some guys get the limo, some guys get some, you know, a car that has pedals. And uh, <coughs> so, but the whole thing is, is that, you know, my wife wants me to be with her and just like, just spend some time with me. And I'm out there running somewhere thinking, I'll really show her that I love her by doing this. And the whole point is, we've got to communicate in a way that we, that, hey, this is how this person feels loved. And the more that we communicate in that way, the more that they will actually feel loved. I mean, my wife reminds me of this story all the time. That Not all the time, but whenever we're talking about this stuff. She reminds me of the story that I get home and Carrie's like, hey, why don't you sit down? Let's talk. I'm like, I, I am, but I have this thing. I've got to change some light bulbs in the house. And there's like five light bulbs out in the house. So I'm changing all these light bulbs. And she's like, will you please sit down? And I'm like, honey, the Bible says let there be light. And there's going to be light in my house. And, uh, and so I'm doing this, this whole thing. And she's like, and, uh, and I'm like, aren't you happy that I got all these things? She's like, listen, I don't care if there's no lights. We just please sit down. I haven't seen you all day, you know. And, um, and the whole thing, the reason I tell you all of this is that that's my wife's language. That's not your wife's language. That's not your husband's language. You've got to find out what their language is and communicate in a way that connects with them. So they feel loved and understood and appreciated and all of that. That's why the Bible says it. And I believe the Bible actually says it to husbands because I think many times wives are a little more intuitive to this. But the Bible commands it to husbands. And it says this in your notes. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, your wives, with understanding. Dwell with your wives in accordance to understanding. You see, it's amazing to me that Solomon, he's at the door. She says, well, I have a headache. I'm sorry. This isn't the time. And, and here's what happens is that he then gets up and leaves. And then she finally gets around to opening the door saying, well, let's talk. And then, and then he's gone. <clears throat> and if I can sidebar for a moment to, to say this, I think it's important. We have, my wife and I, we have this rule in our house. There's no leaving during a disagreement. See, sometimes guys, you'll get into a disagreement and the guy will be like, all right, I'm out of here. 
I just got to drive for a little bit and clear my head. Like, no, you don't. Like, you ain't any smarter when you're driving than, than when you're not. And so you just need to, you need to stick around because you don't realize this. You're actually hurting the relationship when you leave. Oh, he takes off and then he comes back whenever. Or she leaves and comes back whenever. Well, what's the deal? The deal is you need to stay, hey, we're disagreeing and we're not happy with each other right now, but I want you to realize I'm staying because I'm not going anywhere no matter what happens here. And my friends, that is really the key. And so when we want to communicate, because you leaving, that's communicating something, even if you don't realize it. And that everything that we do, we have to understand that it's not just words that communicate. Even the tone of our voice can communicate. And sometimes it communicates what we don't want to. I mean, think about this. You know, four words, right? Check, just notice, check, four words. Can you help me? Four words. And we can say those words in different tones and mean totally different things. We can say, hey, can you help me? And now, you know, we're asking for, for assistance. But we can also say, <laughs> can you help me? Oh, so now you're saying I can and now you're talking down to me. Or now I could say, can you help me? Oh, now, see, now we're communicating something else. Or your, your wife can show up in, in like a Victoria's Secret thing at the, at the door, you know, like the door and be like, can you help me? Right? And now, now we've communicated something else. Right? And uh, sometimes things aren't in the notes that get said. And uh, so the whole point is this, is that, your presence communicates, your absence communicates, body language communicates, um, your, your, your eyes are communicating. And the whole point is this, and this is the thing that, 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 that's key. So often, and this is the same thing that happens with this couple in the story. He says something, she says something, and now there's this weirdness, and he decides to take off. By the time she opens the door, he's not there. But what happened? There's this misunderstanding. And listen, most conflict takes place not because of what's said, but by what's misunderstood. And that's really the key of, of, of what's happening here. That's why we need to make sure when we communicate, especially if we have conflict, that we communicate in a way that the other person connects with. Not, I want to say it in my way because that's the way I say it. No, no, no. It doesn't matter the way I say it because that's the way I say it. I want to say it in a way that she understands. She wants to say it in a way that I understand. Look at what happens in verse 6. <clears throat> she says, I opened the door for my beloved. My beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leapt up when he spoke. I sought him, but I couldn't find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen who went about the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me. The keeper of the walls took my veil from me. And I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that if you find my beloved, that you tell him, that I am lovesick. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the third thing I want you to know. And that is, let God be God. One of the big issues when it comes to conflict, especially with Christians in, in marriage, is that we try to be God in this other person's life. And there's... Now, what happens with the Shulamite in the story is, she opens the door, Solomon's gone, so she decides, all right, I'm going to go and find him. But you've got to understand that we're living in an ancient, this is an ancient Middle Eastern culture. There's no street lights. There, there's no flashlights. So it's darkness. So there's a watchman along the wall of the city of Jerusalem making sure that there are no invaders coming. 
When they see someone at, out at night, which, by the way, there was never people were out at night. You only walked during the day because it was the only way you could see where you were going. So she goes out trying to find him, calling out to him. The watchman finds her thinking, you know, mistakenly that she's some kind of attacker trying to scope out the city. Uh, she ends up being struck and wounded for this, in, in this whole thing. And, and she gets, obviously gets mistaken and gets hurt. And the whole point, listen, it just brings up this point that when God is going to do is going to discipline us, our role is not to be the junior Holy Spirit in somebody else's life. Right. And, uh, you know, God has not enlisted us to, quote unquote, fix our spouse as messed up as they might be, because none of us are are God. And that's why we have to try to quit being him. There is a freedom that comes if you will take off the hat that says manager of the universe and just like, just leave that, hey, I'm resigning from being manager of the universe. I'm going to let God deal with that, and I'm going to work on fixing the only person I can fix, and that is me. That's why the Bible says this in Psalm 46 in your notes, be still and know that I'm God. I had this experience a while ago. I'm driving to the office, and uh, there's this Volvo that's behind me that's very upset because I had set my cruise control to 35 miles an hour because it was a 35 that I was on. Why did I set my cruise control? was because when I had just turned onto that street, someone who was, you know, uh, coming the other way had given me the universal sign for there's a cop. You know, they flash the brights, there's a universal cop. By the way, I just think that that's like one of the ways that as humanity we all work together, right? Because we may all disagree, but when there's a cop around, it's us versus the cops, all right? So we flash the brights because it's us versus them. And uh, so I'm driving and the Volvo, you know, you know, like when a guy behind you just like being like really aggressive and you know, he's really upset. And I'm just like listening to music, you know, rocking out. And this guy's, you know, he's going wild. So then, you know, there's this time where, you, you know, it's the the uh, it's not the solid yellow line. So you can go you can go around. So this guy goes around as he's driving by. He gives me a gesture to basically say, you're number one in my book. Um, and uh, so, which is fine, which is fine. Um, and so he, he, uh, he gets in front of me, and he just like, you know, really, rah, you know, gets in front of me, and it's just like a really aggressive thing. And then, of course, he didn't see this part. And, um, and then one of the most wonderful moments of my life happened. Um, <laughs> When the cop comes out in the middle of the street. And by the way, this is like an impressive thing that I... I'm always very impressed when I see this. You're driving a car that's like 3,000 pounds. And this cop will come out in the middle of the street and just go... And you're driving this huge car. And you just... Yeah, I guess that's what I should do. You know, and, you, and you do that, right? And, and the guy pulls over. And, uh, and, and so, anyway, the guy had been ahead of me a little bit. The cop pulls him over. And I'm just filled with joy. You know, I know you're not supposed to be happy about this, but I felt like I had won a contest. And uh, so I drive by and our eyes meet and I give him the, you're number one in my book. Thumbs up, buddy. And uh, so I don't know if I drew him closer to God that day, but I know I was closer to God that day. And uh, now the point is this, is that if your spouse needs the disciplining of God, don't do it. That's not your role. Your role is to, do, is to do what God has called you to do and let God deal with them. Now, let me show you what happens. And this is so key. Um, look at verse 10. She says this. 
She says, My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among ten thousand. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of water, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, uh, banks of scented herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with beryl. And his body is carved ivory inlaid with sapphire. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the pillars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. If you pause there and give me your attention. (coughs) Pardon me. Here's the fourth thing I want to tell you about conflict. And that is practice a selective memory. Practice a selective memory. I want you to notice what she does. She reminds herself of why she married him in the first place. These are all the great qualities that this beloved is. Not only is he my beloved, but he is also my friend. And in the verses, she says that he's handsome, that he's a leader, that he's a man of honor. That's why his countenance is like a cedar tree. He stands tall because he's a man of integrity. And listen, we all practice selective memory in our lives. My counsel to you is to practice selective memory when it comes to your spouse and focus on the good things. Um, When I've met with couples, I've used this technique um, that I'll ask them, so why did you want to marry this person in the first place? And they'll tell me about these wonderful things that they did. And, well, he did this and and, and all this. And you know what happens is they, they remember this and, yeah, that is why I fell in love with you, isn't it? And, man, I thought that this was the end of the road. But maybe it isn't. Maybe there's a lot more good that's happened than, than bad that's happened as they start to recall, recall the great qualities that they saw in each other when they first met. In fact, and we're not going to read it, but if you read the first several verses of chapter 6, um, he does the same thing. Solomon does the same thing. And in fact, in verse 8, he says, there's a lot of other, uh, there's a lot of other girls that I could have fallen in love with and been with, but instead I chose you. And let me read you the last, the last part. This is chapter 6 and verse 11. Focus on two verses here. He says, I went down to the garden of nuts to see the vendor of the valley, to see whether the vine had budded and the pomegranates had bloomed. Before I was even aware, my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people. Return, return, O Shulamite, return, that we may look upon you. And then this is her response. She says, what would you see in the Shulamites? As it were, the dance of the two camps. Now, here's the last thing I want to share with you. Number five is decide to forgive. Decide to forgive. There's a principle here. There's a principle here. There's a difference between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness is something that God commands us to do. Trust is something that's earned through a person being trustworthy and being a person of integrity. And many times we will withhold forgiveness because we think, well, if I forgive them, well, now I have to restore them to the same relationship that we had before. No, that, that's not the case. Um, if, if there, let's just say that with, with you and I, let's say I asked you to loan me 10 bucks, and you did. 
took out your wallet and you gave me 10 bucks and I said, I'll pay you back next week. And then I didn't. And then you asked me for the 10 bucks and I gave you some line about how I, I couldn't do it. And, and then um, eventually you realize like, wow, this guy just swindled me out of $10. And, and, and you just were kind of holding on to that. But then you decided to forgive me. And then I say, oh, thank you so much for forgiving me. Hey, by the way, can I borrow 20 bucks this time? And uh, you say, whoa, 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 slow down, cowboy. Uh, here, here's the thing. Well, what's, what's the deal? Just because you've forgiven doesn't mean that you trust. Forgiveness is something that we freely give because God commands us as people who have been forgiven that we forgive. But that doesn't mean that we have to trust and bring that person to the same level of trust that they once had before they sinned against us. You say, well, it doesn't, and this is one of the things that happens in, in marriage uh, with, with conflict, especially when there's really big issues of, of sin and a, a betrayal of trust and all that. It's like, well, you know, he said or she said that they were going to forgive me, but now they don't trust me. Well, they've forgiven you, but now you're going to have to earn trust because trust is not something that's given for free. Forgiveness is freely given. But trust is something that's earned. You see, Jesus would say it this way in, <clears throat> in the, the Lord's Prayer. He would say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The couple in our story are experiencing the blessing of forgiveness and reconciliation. In fact, if you read in verse 12, he says, Before I was made aware, my soul had made me as chariots of my as the chariots of my noble people. And he says, he invites her now back into his chariot, back to the place of prominence next to him. And then the Shulamite says, if you, if you saw me, what would you see? But you would see dancing in the camps. That was a, a phrase that was used for two camps that were at war with each other. If they were fighting, but then if you saw them dancing, you would know that there was peace. You see, there is a freedom in forgiveness. When we hold on to something, it just begins to eat at you. And, and you, we all know people, right? Maybe we have been people like this in the past. Maybe you're holding on to something right now, and here's the deal. It's like it's eating at you. It's like you can't sleep. It's messing with how you eat. It's messing with how you talk. It's messing with how you think, what you do. Every time your mind wanders, it goes there. Every time you fall asleep, it goes there. When you wake up, your mind goes to this thing because you haven't ever let it go. And the reason that you don't want to let it go is you're you're thinking, I don't want to let that person off the hook. Can I share something with you? That when you decide to forgive, when you decide to forgive, You're not releasing them from the prison. You're releasing yourself from the prison. Listen, you you say, oh, but, uh, you know, because listen, sometimes people can sin against us and they're not even thinking about it. And this is one of the things that I experienced like a year ago. I had someone who just hurt me deeply. And I was so upset about it. And, you know, and I did my whole thing and I kicked and screamed and I got upset and angry. And then eventually it was my wife who lovingly came to me and says, I know you're mad, but it's time to let it go. But you don't understand, Carrie. This is what they did. And I'm so angry after everything that I've done for them. She says, I know. But you have to let it go. Because it's not about them. It's about you. It's about the fact that you're a person who's been forgiven. And a person who for, who's been forgiven much, forgives much. Doesn't mean you have to trust them. Doesn't mean they have to be your best friend. 
doesn't mean you have to invite them over, uh, but it means that you have to forgive them and you have to say, I'm canceling the debt. You sinned against me, but you don't owe me anything anymore. And listen, I tell you that not because I'm telling you this in theory, but all of us have experienced this. And I teach this stuff and I've struggled because, listen, when you're hurt, it's like, oh, why? And it's not really pain if it's someone that you didn't care about. But especially it's when, when it's someone you care about and then there's the dagger and you're like, oh, and, and, and what happens? What happens is, is that, and I remember thinking, no, 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 I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold this because I've got them. And, and, and it was my wife who lovingly came to me and said, no, it's got you. And the only way that you're going to be free is if you let it go. And you forgive, and that key that you think is letting them out of the prison is the one that's letting you out of the prison. My friends, the reason that we have the ability to forgive is because God forgave us. Jesus died for us not because we were lovable, but because He is love. And instead, He offers us eternal life, not because we deserve it, but because in, inf- in His infinite love, He invites us to share in eternity with us through the sacrifice of Jesus. Couples, can I tell you this? The only way that we really forgive is to experience forgiveness. If you're here and you're not married, you're single, can I tell you this? The only way that you really are able to forgive is by experiencing forgiveness firsthand. The way you settle conflict is the way that God settled the conflict with us. We're sinners, man. Right? All of us. We're sinners. We've broken God's law. I mean, we've, you know, you want to talk about doing someone wrong. God created us. And we've spent most of our lives doing the wrong thing. And you know what happened? God in His infinite love said, I'm not going to leave these people like that. I'm going to send my son to die for them, to show them how much I love them. Not, not See, He didn't die for us not when we were in church. Not when we were reading the Bible or trying to teach our kids to do the right thing. When we were going in the opposite direction, the Bible says in the book of Romans, He died for us. And my friends... that moment when we decided and we realized that and we surrendered said God I'm not going to run anymore I'm going to embrace the forgiveness that's how couples resolve conflict there's a surrender on both sides say I don't have to be right let's just forgive each other let's move on and as individuals can can I tell you this Sometimes we walk around this thing, but this happened in my past, and this person did me wrong. And then we have this chip on our shoulder thinking, well, I'm not coming to God because of all this stuff that happened. My friends, all this stuff happened because we live in a broken world. And God did the one thing that He could do to fix it. He Himself became a man and felt the intensity of the hatred and the brutality of humanity as he died. And he absorbed it. Every sin that you've committed, that I've committed, that we've committed, past, present, and future, was dealt with on that cross that day. So as we close, maybe you're, maybe you're holding on to something. 
My friends, it's time to release it. It's time to release it. Why? Because there is a God in heaven who died for us that we might be forgiven. And those of us who have been forgiven much need to forgive much. Maybe you're here and you've never invited Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you of all of your sins that you might have eternal life, that you might have forgiveness from your past, that you might have hope in your future and peace in your present. Knowing that when you take your last breath on planet earth, your next breath will be your first breath in eternity in his kingdom. Not because we're good, not because we've earned it, but because he is good, because he made a way for us. Maybe if you're here and you've never made that decision, then today's the day. This is why God brought you to this place. That's why there's all these circumstances that happened this week that brought you to this place so that you might decide to follow Him, to receive His free gift of forgiveness so that we might be a people who forgive because we've been forgiven. So I'm going to pray. And as I close in prayer, if you want to pray and ask Jesus to come into your life to forgive you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to ask that you repeat it. It's not a magic formula. They're my words, but I pray that they articulate what your heart wants to say to God. And here's what I know. Is that a prayer prayed in sincerity, God will hear, He will answer, He will act, and He will begin changing your life from this moment. If you're for real. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your love your love that sent you to a cross that we might have life and experience forgiveness and peace and grace. God, I pray for every person in this room. Some of us that are holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness and it's killing us. God, today is the day that we have to just let it go and just cancel the debt and forgive. Lord, there's some of us that are here we've never invited you to come into our lives. We've never asked you to forgive us of all of our sins. We've never turned from our old ways and turned to you. God, we're asking that this would be the moment that as we pray that you would hear and act, that you would change our lives from this moment. Listen, those of you that are ready, You want to make that decision. You want to invite Jesus to come into your life to forgive you of everything. I'm just going to ask that you just pray with me out loud. Just say, Dear God, I open my heart and I invite you inside to be my God, to be my Savior, to be my friend. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. For I've decided today to follow you, Jesus. From this day forever, I'm yours. In Jesus' name.